the Truth News Network. It is your circus. They are your monkeys. How are you going to manage the rings? A little help, a little vision, a little wisdom that comes from truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. A little wisdom, huh? Just a little? (laughs) I think we've all picked up a few more tidbits of wisdom than we have in many decades in our rearview mirrors. And that's because everything's happening at once. There are targets for us to concentrate our focus on, but they move nonstop, and it's purposeful, so we can't catch them in the act. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what the world is we live in today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Friday at TNN Live. And we have something special coming up. We told you early in the week, Steve Baker working on a blockbuster revelation. Well, he will be here in person to tell you about it in 15 minutes, 14 minutes now. He can only be with us for about a quarter hour, and he's got to do it right at 9.15. So if you've got somebody that's been waiting, quickly, give him a call, 9.15 sharp. Steve Baker will be here to give us the synopsis of this blockbuster revelation that's about to break Washington, D.C. wide open. And it's coming from our very own investigative journalist. That would be Steve Baker. So let me put you in the mood. Let me get you feeling good about it. How about this one? A brand new love affair. Wish I knew what was going wrong Seems so very long since we left together It's no good to be all alone When you've hurt a friend And you both feel empty What I'd give to erase the pain afraid that our love may fade and we just won't make it maybe soon we'll be friends again find ourselves and then really make it happen
never tell me that I can't put you in a mood with a song every once in a while. <laughs> that one was supposed to be a smooth, easygoing sound. Gets a little amped up at the end of the song, but that's what we do on weekends. On Fridays, we just start off smooth and slow, and we ease into our weekend knowing that the best is yet to come. Well, if you weren't at the top of the show, we're close to the top of the show right now, but when we signed on, I told you, Steve Baker, the beginning of the week, remember, I told you he was going to release a blockbuster, a revelation, an expose in Washington, D.C. this week that will blow a lot of things and a lot of people apart. There are people, let me just let me just tell you, give you a little bit. Oh, by the way, he'll be here. In eight minutes, eight minutes sharp, Steve Baker is going to be with us to give us his verbal version of this blockbuster. Of course, later in the weekend, it'll be released, not to everybody, but we'll have it here at TNN Live, and we'll publish it as soon as we get it from him. So you'll be watching closely through the weekend at truthnewsnet.org. But we're going to get kind of a preview from the author of this, and let me say this about Steve. He has been working around the clock to make sure that everything he is hearing and seeing, I said seeing, he'll tell you why and what that means, seeing, but he has verified, double, triple, quadruple verified everything he's going to tell you. So if there's somebody that needs to hear what he's going to say that you can call, call him right now at 9.15 Central Time. He's going to be with us in seven minutes. Meanwhile, I'll just kind of warm you up. People looking for a good July from June work jobs number. And it just came out a few minutes ago. Not very good either. Our economy added 209,000 jobs in June. The unemployment rate ticked down to 3.6%. Now that's, you know, a couple of thousand jobs. That's, yeah, that sounds like a good number. But economists had forecasted and employers would grow payrolls by 230,000, not far off. That's a downturn from the preliminary May estimates of 339,000. Unemployment rate was expected to drop to 3.6 from the 3.7 number reported last month, and it did. Yesterday, we told you this, that big payroll company, ADP, they said the private sector added almost half a million jobs in June, more than twice what the consensus forecast was supposed to be. This sent many economists scrambling to raise their estimates for the Department of Labor number released Today, the labor market has been stronger than we thought it would over a year now, with jobs reports coming in above estimates for 14 straight months. This was the first time the jobs figure undershot expectations in over a year. The Federal Reserve has been trying to cool off demand for workers, and that's kind of the, the, uh, uh, the, the problem-solving thing they think to break this inflation and this unemployment stuff, people not working. This was their equation to break it up. And it's just not working the way they tell us it would work. Yesterday, the Labor Department said the number of job openings at the end of May, listen to the number, 
9.8 million. 9.8 million. That's how many jobs are open. And that number ticked down a bit. There were significant downward revisions to earlier months. And this is what the Biden administration never wants us to see, hear, or talk about. The change in the total non-farm payroll employment for April. Well, guess what they did? They revised it down by 77,000. They told us we had a gain of 294,000. Uh-uh. The real number, and I can't trust the real number, they say, is 217,000. The May job growth was revised down by 33,000 from 339,000 to 306,000. It doesn't matter how you couch it. There are a bunch of people that aren't working. And I don't care what the reasons are. If people are capable, if they want to work and they're capable, they got to have the opportunity to work. There are a lot of reasons why, and I won't get into the reasons other than to tell you, a government, a labor department, and any federal government, doesn't matter what administration it's in, job one, job two, three, four, five, six, job 55 is to get jobs for people available and then to entice people to go to work. Let me ask you a question. These millions of people that aren't working, job openings, why aren't people working today? It's not hard to compute. Look back over your shoulder at 2020, 2021, 2022. There was government money floating around like candy. We're not talking about millions. We're not talking about hundreds of millions. We're not talking about billions. We're talking about trillions of dollars, U.S. tax dollars, that were pilfered. Uh-oh, we made a mistake. We sent money somewhere we're not supposed to. That's an excuse that's acceptable maybe once or twice. $3 trillion worth. You can't justify that no matter how hard you try. It's either corruption, ineptitude, maybe both of those, or maybe there are people that are writing the checks, and that's a figurative thing. Everything's mechanized. They very seldom write checks at the federal government level anymore anyway. It's direct deposit, but think about it. It's either a little bit of mistakes, but you can't make legitimate mistakes that total $3 trillion. You just can't do it. You can't justify it in any way possible. Somebody's got to turn the faucet off. Who would be that somebody? Well, it isn't Joe Biden. And by the way, let's just go ahead and let's just think forward and begin to speak this way. Joe Biden's not going to be in the election. Many experts have come out. I've told you for months and months. I told you before he took his oath of office. He would not serve four years. And even if he does, he's not going to be the Democrat Party nominee. They can't put him up. I don't care who on the other side he would be going up again. He can't handle it anymore. 
put this in perspective. This morning and every morning, I prayed for Joe Biden. I prayed for the captain of the ship America would be successful today and would get our nation to where it needs to go. I want him to be successful because when he is, you and I are part of that. Well, I think we, I think we just got Steve Baker on the phone. Hook yourself up, buddy. I called you live. Hello. Now, there you are. Boy, you, Sorry get, about that. you get behind that microphone and your voice gets really deep. There we go. <laughs> well, I'll go, I'll go I, I I just I just gave you. I just gave the the audience, and let me just tell you, I at the very top of the show, I said you were coming on at nine fifteen, and I appreciate you doing it. And we'll re- respect your time. You've got a meeting at the top of the hour, but I said call everybody you know and tell them to get here. He's going to be here in fifteen minutes. I just looked a minute ago. We have people up and down the left coast. We have people in Alaska. We have people in Hawaii. We have somebody listening in from Fiji. I didn't even know they had internet in Fiji. And then we have our group that's regular in New Zealand and another one in Australia. They're listening live, Steve. We've been telling people there's something big that's about to break loose and that you are going to be here sometime this week and go public and at least give us a synopsis of it. So, well, I need to, first of all, know, I, mean, I need to know if our Langley guys are with us today. I, I, that goes unsaid. I mean, honestly, <laughs> they listen at the top of every show almost every day. I see their IP addresses pop up. And uh, they were there. Yeah. And it was actually just one at the top of the hour. Let me look now real quick. Three. Okay. We got three aboard oh, with okay. us. Good, so, good, good. everybody who wants to know is listening. <laughs> so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Steve Baker, TNN Live's own investigative journalist partner. Steve Baker, give us what you've discovered. Man, there's there's so much. And of course, I'm still holding back. And I, I'm just going to tease everyone with the big story because it's coming. And the reason why I can't tell everybody what that is yet is because, very simply, we are negotiating right now with the best, largest, uh, bullhorn venue that we can to release this story and it it very well could be anywhere from another two weeks to a month before we can roll this out but I will tell all of your listeners right now that last week I did finally have the opportunity to sit down there at the Capitol in front of those three computer monitors that contains all of the Capitol video from January 6th that that alleged 41,000 hours that everyone keeps hearing about and that was something that everyone recalls a couple months ago that Tucker, uh, he and his producers got a chance to review. And then they only did two nights of reveal and suddenly they went away. And then there's been a couple of other journalists that have also had access. Uh, John Solomon, uh, he has from Just the News. And then um, Julie Kelly, she's had access. And then I, I was granted access last week myself. I will tell everyone that they should probably, first of all, understand the process. Everyone thinks that the Capitol is giving this um, giant tranche of 41,000 hours worth of data over to these independent journalists or to Tucker or whatever, and and that's just not true. There's no way possible to hand anybody that amount of material. 
Plus, they do have their security concerns. I disagree with much of their reasonings for not releasing all of that to the public at large. I think it can be done. I think it can be done without um, security problems. Uh, I think it can also be done without their other concern, which is that the so-called sedition hunters, these online sleuths that are working, quite frankly, as contractors, labor contractors for the FBI, are going to then uh, out and then make available other or thousands more of innocent people be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. I don't believe that that's a concern either because the FBI from day one has had access to all this video. They've been able to run high definition or rather AI uh, high quality facial recognition on all of these individuals. They've also been able to track their cell phones with geofencing. It's not like they don't already know most of the characters. In fact, we've whittled it down to where Probably most of the unidentified people now at this point are people that they don't want us to know. And that's where we begin today. <laughs> so I, I just released yesterday something that I had become aware of just two months ago. And everybody goes, well, why did you sit on this for two months? Because these things have to be vetted. They have to be um, – there's a lot of research that goes on when you find a character – particularly one that's a suspicious actor like the Jan January 6th, and you don't want to report false news. You don't want to put out misinformation. You don't want to get it wrong and then get blistered by the mainstream press because you, you made a mistake. But this particular character, everyone was following for over two years. Her name, uh, her, her online sleuth, sedition hunter name was called Hashtag Pink Beret, and that was because she wore this very pink beret and designer clothes and high heels. She was allegedly in D.C. on the 6th to support President Trump, her and her boyfriend at the time. And those stories did not really comport with behavior because, first of all, anybody that was at the initial barricade breach, which happened at 12.52 p.m. Um, at, at on the west side of the Capitol, really – if they claimed that they were there to support President Trump and they weren't at the ellipse, which was over a mile away, actually watching his speech, which was still going on at the time, I have great suspicions about what their reasons for being at the Capitol so early were, as you can imagine. She was actually there in the same group of people uh, with Ray Epps when that first violent breach took place. And then she raced across the lawn in her high heels and her designer clothes. And then she started acting the part of a femme fatale and actually flirting with men in the crowd and luring them into illegal uh, activities. One man in particular at the um, site where they, the media had all of their cameras and their equipment and they had a little barricade around on the outside to film the, the things that were happening at the Capitol that day. And another thing many people don't understand, and there, there were actually licensed events and protests that were supposed to happen on the Capitol grounds that day. So there were press there. And there were, of course, these more violent protesters that started destroying all this camera equipment from them. You know, once they identified them as, as the CNN and Associated Press and that, these, these violent uh, actors went in there and started destroying their cameras. And at one point, she's caught on video actually walking into that area and lifting up a heavy duffel bag full of camera gear. And when she walked over and she handed it to a man in the crowd. He has since been charged, arrested, and is facing prosecution for 
having stolen goods. She then at another point ran up to the Capitol once the, the um, uh, out, out of bar- the final barricades on the lower west terrace were breached, the police line was, and people were starting to go into the Capitol. She gets up on there and she starts, like she has like a baton in her hand and she's waving people into the Capitol. But at another point, she's holding the door open for people. And then she takes another man by the hand and she leads him into the Capitol. And once she's in there, she finds another duffel bag, Dan, and she hands that to him, and it's full of police gear. Well, this guy is infatuated, apparently, by the femme fatale known as Pink Beret, and so he starts looking for her. Well, by the time she set him up, we've actually seen her on video now, uh, and she runs to one of the escalators there in the Capitol, and she takes her Pink Beret off, and she ducks down on the escalator to hide from him and you can see him looking around for her. Well, that poor guy has also been now uh, charged, arrested and convicted. His trial was just a couple of months ago. So here's, here's the progression of that story as, as it uh, finally played out. Uh, there was no identity of her whatsoever. She had never been put on the FBI's most wanted list until the um, uh, lawyer for this second individual that I just mentioned uh, began the process of issuing motions and, and trying to find uh, testimony and trying to bring in witnesses and, and uh, wanted to send out subpoenas for their witnesses. And obviously they wanted to bring this girl in for the trial to testify and find out what her actions and what her duties were that day, why she was acting in the manner that she was to set other, not only this particular defendant up, but other men as well. And they petitioned the Department of Justice to to release her identity because there was no way. I mean, this is a woman that was highly uh, photographed. She had been known to the FBI and to the sedition hunters for over two years at this point. High definition facial recognition as well as video of her actually using her cell phone. So they know for a fact that she could have been traced and know who her identity was. And the Department of Justice refused to um, provide that information claiming that they didn't know who she was. And then the Epic Times did a story on her. And immediately after that went public about her uh, suspicious uh, character and suspicious actions that activities that day, they went so far, or the FBI then put her at the top of their most wanted list. Now, this is unusual uh, for several reasons. Number one, she hadn't been on their list for two years. So they were obviously responding and reacting to the national attention that had been brought to her at this point. And then within a couple of days, allegedly, uh, her ex-boyfriend from about four years prior dropped a dime on her. And this was actually on April 27th of this year. And when they dropped a dime on her, then suddenly the, um, the Department of Justice, just a few days later, then filed charges against her. Now, this is, this is highly, highly unusual because of what happened. First of all, any time that the Department of Justice is about to charge someone with a crime, be it a misdemeanor or be it a felony, um, serious or minor, it doesn't matter. Those charges are held under seal until the suspect is arrested. And then they release the charges and make those public uh, because those are uh, uh, public documents. But in this case, they released those charging documents in advance of arresting her. And then all of a sudden, the story went away. She was never arrested. She was never found. Nobody in the mainstream media seems to be interested in her whatsoever. Nobody cares. The Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, NBC, blah, blah, blah. They don't care. Sedition hunters, they all quit talking about her. 
I called my attorney and I said, I said, uh, I, I want to ask you a hypothetical question. I said, isn't it true that the Department of Justice is supposed to actually arrest somebody before they release their um, their charging documents to the public? And he said, yeah, that's the case about 95% of the time. And I said, well, what's the other 5%? And he laughed and he said, well, when they're trying to tip off the suspect, that they're about to be arrested. And I went, hmm, okay. So obviously with that kind of setup, my radar went up and I started doing the digging. I found out who her husband was. I found out what the family relations were. I actually acquired her actual phone number. I began tracking her down. I began leaving her a series of text messages asking her for an interview. She finally responded. Uh, this was uh, two months ago. And she politely said, no, thank you. So she did respond to me. And then we tracked her family down and found out that her mother lives in Thailand. And I think you know where this is going from here. Then we found out that her and her new husband have been living in Thailand. And despite the fact that the Department of Justice has a extradition treaty with Thailand, they seem to have no interest in bringing this young lady and her husband, who was her boyfriend and with her there in D.C. at the time, uh, back to the United States to face the charges that have been filed against her. So that's the most recent uh, update right there. And I released that information. I would invite everybody to go to my Rumble channel. And it's just uh, you can find me per pretty much anywhere online now if you just type in TPC the number four USA, TPC four USA. You can find me on Twitter there, Rumble there, uh, on our locals. And so you can find this video where I release this information pretty much anywhere, as well as the long story I did on this setup situation back on May 10th of last year. So there's that. And then, oh my goodness, Dan, um, I feel like I'm racing against the clock here. Well, you are. You've got an appointment. We're going to respect your time, but give us yeah. as much as you can going forward. Yeah, so so this this next story is the one that I've been working on for nine months. Now, you know, everybody everybody sends me uh, things that they want me to look up. I I can't just in the last twenty four hours since I released this information, you can't believe how many people say, "Can you find out something about this person? Can you find out about this? Can you do a little research on this? Can you comment on this?" And and no, I can't. These things take time, and this. Uh, this big story that I've been teasing now for over a month has been in the works for over nine months. And we are, as I said, we, we have the evidence of what I believe is the biggest January 6th story since January 6th itself. It's going to embarrass a lot of people. It's going to also uh, implicate both the FBI and the Department of Justice in extreme and severe cover-up. Cover-up to the point where it has not only... Um, uh, uh, just just a, a, a significant amount of corruption will be revealed, but to the point where that, that cover-up has been used then to convict people and to put them in prison for years and years and years as a result of this cover-up. So as a result of that and the work that I've done, and because I had access to the video finally last week to look at this, I actually had seven or eight different stories that I wanted to do research on when I got to uh, uh, D.C. last week. I had three days uh, to to burn in that in that uh, uh, video room in, in the O'Neill building next to the Capitol. And I had uh, uh, every intention of spending some time on all of these stories, but the big story was my priority. And once we got into that, it began to unreal it, 
uh, or, or unveil itself in such a way that I ended up spending all three days on that same uh, story because it, it continued to get bigger and bigger. That which I, that which I suspected nine months ago um, turned out to be even bigger than what I had anticipated it to be. So we immediately, because of that, we began to bring other people in. I spent uh, almost, uh, well, I spent an hour and a half with the chief investigator for the weaponization committee uh, on Monday going over this with him. And I have also spent many hours on the phone with my attorney as a result of this because we have to uh, not only protect some people, but we also have to protect me in the process. And we have to be sure that every, you know, every I is dotted, every T is crossed. And uh, that when we roll this out, that this is as, is as unimpeachable as I believe that it is. And then uh, because we, we, we know we're going to get attacked, we're going to get attacked from every side. We're going to get attacked from not only every major mainstream press uh, source. We're going to get attacked from the government agencies. We're going to get attacked from the Capitol Police. We're going to get attacked from the White House. We're going to get attacked from, you know, and when I say attack, I'm talking about the reaction is going to be strong because it's going to, it's going to implicate people throughout the entire uh, chain of, uh, of, of what caused those events to happen that day. As you and I have discussed, my number one concern in all of this is exactly what you just told me, because we both know, you and I both know, that there aren't many real journalists left. There are none that I know of in mainstream media. The real ones, when they go there, if they go to the mainstream media, they find out very quickly if you want to be truthful, if you want to be honest and reveal facts to the American people, you can't do it at those places. And that's why you get the phone calls, people wanting you to look and investigate something because it takes an inordinate amount of time to be able to scratch and get to the depths of all of the details that are necessary. Back to what I just said, my number one concern is I don't want to have to start a GoFundMe page for Steve. (laughs) (laughs) I want to protect you you in every way we can. Well, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is uh, if the government so decides they can convict a potato, and and of course we've said this on your show before too, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. And that is certainly our biggest concern is that there will be some sort of retribution, but that's not going to stop me from um, revealing the truth to the American people. And obviously your audience is going to be uh, one of the front lines that's going to hear, you know, going to be on the very uh, tip of the spear here when we, when we start the release. I smell a book in the making too. Could be. (laughs) Steve, Steve Baker, you're our own. You're my brother. We live in the same city. At least we used to, but you're from here and uh, your family's precious to me too. So be safe, be careful. And I would put you on the spot and try to make you tell us some more specifics, but I, uh, I respect you too much to try to do that. I know when you can, when it's time, you'll be back here to fill us in on all of the details. We'll do it. Thanks, Dan. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll see you again soon. Talk soon, buddy. Thanks. Well, there you go. As promised, Steve Baker, and I hadn't talked to him. We've communicated over the last few days through text, and I hadn't talked to him, but I knew knew there was something big in the way of uh, 
media that was being considered. I know a little bit more than I'm able to tell you and that he didn't tell us. And let me just say, when this breaks, I'm trying to be careful and come up with the right words. When this thing breaks, many of your questions that you've been asking since Joe Biden became president, many of those questions are going to be answered. Think about that. Well, we've got much more on our plate today here at TNN Live. Much more. There are some meaty things happening. And what's interesting to me is just all of a sudden it seems like we're being told things. We're getting behind the scenes. We're finding things out that we may be expected, but we never thought we would get the facts about. Well, guess what? We're right. (laughs) So we're going to dig into some of those right after this. TNN Live, every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. Back in a minute. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell & Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell & Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men. Before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell & Cordell. A partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. In a world where a president can be censored by social media in his own country, you need a break from the madness. Your doctor of sanity again, Dan Newman. Just as a point of information, what you just heard from Steve Baker, we will publish that. We'll add it at the bottom of today's story at truthnewsnet.org the front page story. We'll add the audio that you just heard. We'll put that at the bottom today, as soon as we get off the air at 11 o'clock central. But we'll also do, in one of our bullet points that we publish every Saturday morning, which is a synopsis of the big happenings of that week, we will put one of the bullet points will be just this audio that you heard from Steve Baker. 
And by the way, you'll be able to download from either one of those the story that is up on truthnewsnet.org right now at the bottom. You can scroll down and get it later today. You can download it. Same thing on bullet points tomorrow. I'm telling you folks, this is going to blow this administration from top to bottom. It's going to blow their minds. And the American people are in large going to be nodding in affirmation. We suspected, we thought, and all of the things that fall into the category I just mentioned, the ones where you shook your head, the SMH thing, I can't believe this. I don't understand this. All these people being arrested, many of them put in jail. There's no constitutional rights being meted out to any of these people. Why, oh, why did it happen? And why did all of that happen the way it happened? And who is responsible? Wow. Speaking about that, Representative James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, he's the head of that weaponization committee that uh, Steve was just talking about a few minutes ago. Some new news. Some new news in the investigation of Hunter Biden that 90% for sure applies directly to Hunter's dad, the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Let's bring in Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer. So, Congressman, tell us what you know about this obstruction at the Justice Department. Well, the Justice Department simply has turned a blind eye to Hunter Biden. They were told to stand down. Uh, That's what our FBI whistleblower told us uh, when we learned of the discovery of the 1023 form that alleged Joe Biden took a bribery from the most trusted, highest paid FBI informant. Uh, They were told to stand down when we brought in the the general counsel for the National Archives, uh, when they were trying to uh, write a story on their on their website about Joe Biden mishandling classified documents. They were told by the Department of Justice to stand down. And now what we've heard today with the IRS whistleblower, uh, when they were uh, obvious, looking at the obvious tax violations by the Biden family, they were told to stand down. So this is a pattern that the Department of Justice has interfered and given preferential treatment to the Biden criminal activities. So if this Delaware prosecutor was blocked from charging Hunter Biden in different precincts by the Justice Department. How abusive is that? It's very abusive. And and what the Democrats want to say is that, uh, well, this Delaware attorney was was appointed by Trump, but he was appointed by Obama before he was ever appointed appointed by by Trump for uh, various positions. So this is certainly a a situation like many where uh, uh, a senator works out a deal with uh, the president, even if they're in opposing parties. McConnell does it in Kentucky all the time to get uh, the U.S. attorney of their preference. So uh, the Democrats saying that uh, this is no big deal because this is a Trump appointed attorney, that, that's a moot point. The, the evidence is overwhelming, uh, whether it be in the Department of Justice, the IRS or the FBI, that this Department of Justice uh, has consistently tried to do everything to cover up criminal activity by the Biden family. If the Attorney General Merrick Garland came out and said several times, I am not interfering with this prosecution, and then 
a whistleblower said he's interfered with the prosecution a couple different times. Does he need to be impeached? Uh, I'm, I'm ready for Merrick Garland to go. Uh, that will be Speaker McCarthy and Jim Jordan's call on whether or not he gets impeached. Uh, but I'm fed up with him. I mean, the, the reputation that Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray, for that matter, at the FBI, the reputation that they're leaving for their agencies is, is a disgrace. They have created a situation where the American people have overwhelmingly lost confidence in our uh, system of justice in America. All right, Congressman, thank you so much. Every day there's new confirmation that makes what we've believed and talked about for a long time to be factual. And yet still, the Department of Justice, think about that. This is the United States of America. We're a constitutional republic. The Constitution, our forefathers, created three co-equal branches to run our entire government. The executive branch, which includes obviously the White House and all of the executive agencies in which this president and every president appoint the heads of, and they're confirmed by the Senate. That's the executive branch. Under that comes the Department of Justice that includes all of our intelligence agencies and the FBI. And the Department of Justice headed by Merrick Garland. Now, we cannot change the way that structure is put together. Although we have people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, representative from uh, New York City, she thinks that we can just do away with the Supreme Court or pack the court or whatever. We can't do that. It takes constitutional amendments to change the rule of law in the United States of America. So here we are. It's almost like they're scrambling like roaches in the kitchen when you turn the light on. They start running over here, running over there, trying to hide to keep from being exposed. Every day, more of the graft and the corruption of this administration is being revealed. And so far, I can't find the head of any major department that's part of the executive branch of our government that doesn't have fingers legitimately pointing at them for the way under President Joe Biden they are operating the people's government. That's a sad thing to even think, let alone say. I'm confident I am past, way past the 50-50 mark that would give me the ability to tell you honestly I'm pretty sure this is happening. I'm I'm way past that point. It's not if there was and is corruption. That's not even under question any longer. It's how much and how far-reaching is it and who, everybody, who is involved. Those are the only questions that are left. That is not a victory lap thing. I'm not taking a victory lap. I'm not doing the I told you so game. It makes me sad. It makes me sad. And it's spreading across the nation like a virus. Confidence in our major U.S. institutions. Things and operations and departments of our government that we've just taken for granted all these years. The American people 
have lost almost all of the confidence that we've just taken for granted were legitimate in institutions across our government for 240 years. Is America still blossoming? Do we still call it the land of the free, the home under the brave, under this president? A majority of our American voters say no. A plunge in faith in our U.S. institutions that once defined the nation. People begin to, last year, just say, this is not right, this is wrong. We don't trust him anymore. And it's continued. Gallup poll did a poll and it shows a near record number of voters look at their country today and despair at what they see. In 2022, the National Polling Service recorded huge slumps in confidence in 11 of the 16 institutions ranked by Gallup every year with the presidency, the Biden presidency, 23% taking one of the biggest hits. Only 23% of the Americans that were polled by Gallup believe that the presidency is okay. UPI reports in Thursday's poll, 26% said they had faith in the presidency, just behind 27% who said they had a great deal of faith in the Supreme Court. This low support, it matches how voters feel about the national economy under Biden as he getting ready to run for high office again next year. Respondents said they had the most faith in small businesses, 65%, and the military, 60%, and the police, 43%. Faith in the police, though, was still struck on a low matching, that of 2022. The public said they had the least faith in Congress, only, listen to this number, only 8%, followed by a tie between big business and television news at 14% each. The criminal justice system, only 17%. And, by the way, newspapers, 18%. Now flip that number around. 18% believe and trust the news. Newspapers, only 18%. That means you do the math. 18% believe, that means 82% don't trust today's media. 82%. The lack of overall confidence in this presidency in the nation. It's also matched by the current lack of faith in, guess who? Vice President Kamala Harris. Oh my gosh, she's out on the trail And she came to my state yesterday, and our friends down under, Sky News, they listened to her entire speech. Well, let me just let you listen to Sky News' response about Kamala Harris in New Orleans yesterday. Well, Liz's story, is Kamala Harris the worst communicator you have ever heard? Absolutely. Feast your eyes on this latest word salad from the Vice President of the United States of America. It's very important, as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment 
in time in which we exist and are present. And to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past, but the future. What is this woman smoking? Keep in mind she premised that with, I think it's very important. So you lean in and then you're just like, what? The actual... <laughs> I mean, this is the reason why Biden has to live forever. Not that we know that he's still alive. He's clearly been propped up for a very long time. Maybe he's passed and he's just somehow still moving around the stage. But... This is why he's got to remain in office because this woman would be worse. She's probably the only person in the universe who would be worse. I think you've hit on the reason they allow her to speak in public because every time she speaks, we think, thank God Joe Biden's president. (laughs) I reckon ChatGPT could have written something that made more sense. Oh, 100%. In fact, let's get rid of Harris, let's get rid of Biden, and let's just put AI in charge of the US. I'm sure it could do a better job. I was going to say no one would notice, but everyone would notice. Oh, yeah, it'd be far more eloquent. They would be like, this is unbelievable. Sky News from Australia is not a conservative news outlet. It's not. People think it is. So what did you just hear? What is the context of what you just heard? They're laughing their butts off at the vice president of the United States. And you've heard Sky News before. We play you pretty regularly, at least once or twice a month. We play you some of their synopses of what's going on in our government, just simply because, remember this, we are the shining light on a hill the United States of America, the go-to for everybody on the planet when they need to know something. They've always been able to look at the United States to get the answers. When they need help, they've always been able to look to the United States to get help, no matter what the health is. We've always been there for people of the world, and they're laughing at our leaders and what our leaders are doing and that they are being allowed to continue to do this. Well, who's allowing them to do this? The people of the United States. Are you okay with the status quo? Are you fine with what's going on? Are you okay with your paycheck going the distance that it goes now as compared to, oh, say, three years ago? Are you concerned to learn that this president has already negotiated a deal with the United Nations and it's going to come up for a vote before the 2024 election and they will be voting to determine if the United States cedes its power and control over itself in every area of our lives is going to cede that power to people that aren't even American citizens. They're the bureaucrats from the United Nations. We told you about that yesterday. We published a story about that. This is the life that we watched through my entire life. Six decades, almost seven now. I lived watching and comparing us, the United States of America, to countries around the world. And I've always just kind of felt like, man, I'm glad I don't live in that. I'm glad we live where we live. I'm glad we have the freedom. I'm glad we have control over our government. 
Our forefathers were brilliant because they structured it this way so nobody could get up at the top and just grab control of everything and make the people do what they want us to do. That's exactly what we're not about to see it happen. We're in the middle of it happening. Is it too late to do something about it? I don't think so. I pray that it's not. I hope that it's not. And yes, I trust that it's not too late. But this ship is so big, so heavy, and it's so slow moving through the waters of life. It takes a long time to turn a big ship out in the ocean. We haven't even begun to turn the ship in the right direction. That's scary. That's really scary. And I don't know about you, but I've got kids and grandkids, and they're going to have kids, and I want the world that we are leaving to them is at least as good as the world our parents left to us, us, if not better. I can't say that now. In fact, this world today, under Joe Biden, our world, the United States of America, and as how that plays out around the world under this president, it's nowhere near as good as it was when Donald Trump left office. It's not about Donald Trump. It's not about one person. It's about a philosophy. It's about we the people. We're the ones in charge. We control our government, not government. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did, but now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell. Let me tell you something coming up at the bottom of the next hour at uh, 10.30 Central Time. About then, maybe a couple of minutes before or after, 
we're going to let you listen to somebody, and this is going to frost you. It's a guy, and his last name is Luft, L-U-F-T, Dr. Gao Luft. And this man, today, is being terrorized by the federal government, our federal government. So much so, even though he's a citizen, he's afraid to come back to the United States. And he gives us facts, his own story. He couldn't do it through mainstream media because nobody would carry what he had to share. And yes, it has to do with the President of the United States, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and some of the same crap we're having to deal with every day. Some of this crap we should never have to deal with. The White House has got today still a cocaine scandal. And now it has sparked investigation by top Republicans into White House security failures. Representative James Comer rips the Biden administration for a shameful moment in our history and calls drug discovery at the White House unacceptable. (laughs) You think? Megyn Kelly, I like Megyn Kelly. I liked her when she was with Fox. She's got her own podcast now. She's got about a million followers on YouTube. But she weighed in last night about this White House cocaine thing. All right, ladies, so there's coke at the White House. They actually found cocaine at the Biden White House. And somehow it managed not to be the biggest story everywhere in all the mainstream media, though I suspect it would have been different had it been the Trump White House or, in fairness, even the Obama White House that would have had tongues wagging. But I guess because Joe Biden is 200, um, we've just decided it's definitely not his. And the the son's a drug addict, so whatever, we don't care. I mean, what? There's coke at the White House. And they found it in the West Wing in one of the working areas of the West Wing, they originally said the library, and that was convenient because they could have said, oh, it was a member of the public. But then they had to admit, no, it was actually found in the West Wing, in the working area of the West Wing. We all suspect Hunter, let's be honest. Uh, he was there two days earlier. He was there two days later. Does anybody really believe he's totally clean and sober and you know hasn't had any falls off the wagon? I don't know. Do you think maybe President Biden may have had cocaine in the White House? Now, don't just automatically say, no, that would never happen. Previous administrations, maybe not. We do know Bill Clinton had cocaine in his White House. And there were others. John F. Kennedy, I don't think he used cocaine, but he had a massive number of war injuries that he stayed medicated with uh, a long time. I mean, his entire life after World War II, he struggled there. And then there was stories that came out about an earlier president, I can't even remember which one it was, that uh, was using cocaine, although his doctors at the White House were giving him medicine that included cocaine, but they never let that president know because he would have just had a stroke. Maybe literally had a stroke, but you just don't have cocaine, any kind of illegal drugs in the White House. So Here's how you know there's a scandal. Every day, there's some little bit of revelation news that comes out of the White House about this. Yesterday, White House spokesperson, not 
Jean-Pierre, but one of her assistants was asked about the cocaine in the White House and would he comment on it. And listen to the answer he gave. He refused to respond because of the Hatch Act. The Hatch, H-A-T-C-H, the Hat, that act. Now, what does that act include? It prohibits anybody discussing campaign things from the White House except for the president and the vice president. The Hatch Act, that's what it deals with. How the heck does that have anything to do with cocaine in the White House? That's one thing. Then yesterday, even the day before, we find out every day since it happened on Sunday, they located or found that cocaine in a different place in the White House. Now, I don't think it was in multiple locations. So why, oh why, is it daily the location of where it was found? Why is it changing? I think you know the obvious answer to that question. Somebody's trying to cover up. The other big piece that blows my mind is you cannot get into the White House. There's no way to even get into the White House if you've got illegal drugs in your possession. Why is that? You go through scanners, pat-downs, drug dope dogs come smell of you. All those kinds of things happen to everybody that goes to the White House. With a few exceptions. Who would the exceptions be? Oh, I don't know. People like the president, the vice president, president's wife, and the president's son. We may never know the facts of this. You know why? Because it happened in the White House. Who's investigating? Of course, it wouldn't matter if it was anybody in the FBI or other departments of the Department of Justice. We probably would never know. But in this case, it's the Secret Service. And they're involved in this massive investigation to get the facts for you and me. (laughs) Forget about it. We'll never know. We'll never know the truth of it. And we have good people in Congress that are going through the motions of really demanding clarity and factually give us the answers for that. We probably will never know who. Got some interesting news coming from the West Coast this morning. California's Reparations Task Force, well, this is, this is going to shock you. It looks like they're getting closer to actually passing out money, reparations money. Outlined in a final report from this task force published last week, their latest demands include that California eliminates interest on child support debt for black people and that the state bans police from arresting people for public urination and other public disorder offenses. How does that play into any liability by anybody for anything that happened in slavery? I don't know. You just can't get crazier than we're getting with this. Regarding child support, their report claims, quote, discriminatory federal and state laws have torn African-American families apart 
and that one effect of these longstanding harms is the disproportionate amount of African Americans who are burdened with child support debt. In other words, there are more black people paying child support than white or Asian or Hispanic people, and that must predictably be because of racism. I still can't get past the point of somebody claiming that slavery and racism are somehow hooked together. I don't think you have to be white to be a racist. Let me rephrase that. You don't have to be white to be racist. Under current law, California charges 10% interest on back child support. That's more than three and a half times greater than the national average. The 10% rate quickly increases the amount of the child support debt that's owed. This is from that final report. As a result of the debt owed for back child support and interest, a disproportionate number of African-American parents are saddled with crushing debt that hinders their ability to attend school or job training, maintain housing, and find employment if their professional licenses and or driver's licenses have been suspended because of the failure to pay child support debt, it continues. Critics were particularly peeved about this proposal, as so you can imagine many accusing California Democrats of trying to appease deadbeat dads. How can we best make this go away permanently? Okay, maybe come to the table. If you're representing all of these black fathers that have left their families and aren't paying child support, you come up with a plan, a real plan, other than just to, hey, let's wipe everybody's obligations and their past illegal actions. Let's just wipe them off the slate and do away with that forever. No obligations to a family, no obligations to children. First of all, nobody made them father kids. They chose to do that. Pretty much where I come from, when you plant something in the earth, it grows exactly what you plant. That's how kids happen. I don't know if you know that. Maybe these people don't know that. But we can control some things instead of asking somebody else to take away our responsibility for our our actions. And I said come with a deal, a realistic deal. Maybe there is one. I'm not sure. I don't know the ramifications. I don't know the ins and outs, but I do think obligation needs to follow actions of people. People got to pay for what they do, and it doesn't matter what your skin color is. And I mentioned AOC just a little bit ago, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's one of those far-left sycophants that is demanding We do something about the Supreme Court, and it's gone upstream from there. Democrats are ramping up their calls for Supreme Court reforms. Why is that? Well, after end-of-term rulings that they didn't like, it undermined left-wing policies like race-based college admissions and student loan forgiveness. Now, nobody said a word in the Democrat Party when the Supreme Court came down with a consensus, a consensus against conservatism 
and our southern border problem. Nobody from the Republican Party was out there screaming and hollering, we need to change the Supreme Court. The Congressional Progressive Caucus, which includes over 100 lawmakers, they called for expanding the Supreme Court over the weekend. Democrat members of Congress, they amplified their calls for some other reforms, such as term limits and implementing a code of ethics after the Supreme Court handed down its final decisions of the term. Finding race-based admission policies or unconstitutional, striking down Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, and backing a Christian web designer's First Amendment rights. You would think every American in government would come down and come down on the side of the rule of law and the Constitution. Nope. It's about political pontification. Representatives Ro Khan of California, Don Beyer of Virginia, reintroduced the Supreme Court Term Limits and Regular Appointments Act, a bill that would impose 18-year term limits on the justices. Why didn't they introduce that bill a month ago, two months ago, six months ago? When the Supreme Court hands down a verdict or an opinion, which is what they're supposed to do, and it doesn't line up whatever it is, doesn't line up with the Constitution. Their job and their responsibility and their permission to weigh in on any of this stuff has nothing to do with the substance of it and needing to be changed. Their one job is to look at every case that comes before the court, every single one, and look at it through one lens, the United States Constitution, period. They are not supposed to try to figure out what lawmakers were thinking when they crafted this law or what the president was thinking when he decided to pin an executive order to try to circumvent Congress. That's not the job of the court. Those are the jobs of the people in the executive branch. And these justices in the Supreme Court, they have no permission even to break apart and try to figure out and impute themselves into the minds of lawmakers and presidents as to why they took these actions against legislation or doing an executive order to try to overturn something. You can't just throw away the Constitution. This is the United States of America, and we roll according to the rule of law. Now, speaking about Rocon out in California, things are really, really bad out there. Homelessness is going through the roof. Dave Rubin, he, uh, he weighed in with Fox on the homelessness thing in California. Now, Dave... Uh, we, you hear him here pretty regularly. He's a great conservative podcaster. He was a native Californian and he moved to Florida and you know why? Same reason everybody else is moving to Florida, but he's knowledgeable about LA homelessness. Listen to this. All right, here we go to LA now. We've got big issues with the homeless. Check it out. It was completely quiet and safe and boring in a good way. And now I'm afraid to go out without my pepper spray. They're supposed to be housed by now, and they're supposed to put no camping signs up. 
I think something has to change because people are going to just leave California. I'm wondering where that money is even going. Yeah, right. Well, Democrat-led cities pouring a lot of tax dollar money uh, and resources in the homeless crisis. Is it helping? You be the judge. Homeless population in L.A. growing 10% over the last year, swelling from 69,000 to more than 75,000 living on the streets. Uh, the mayor's trying to do something. Dave Rubin left California for Florida, and he hosts the Rubin Report. Dave, how you doing? Morning to you. Karen Bass is the new neighbor. She's got a program called Inside Stafe. It's her signature initiative. Um, she's trying to pull people out of tents and put them into temporary housing. How do you think it's going to go? Bill, I promise you, you can hold this clip for eternity. It is going to go horribly awry. Every single thing that progressives do goes horribly awry. Let's not forget that it was Gavin Newsom, once a progressive mayor of San Francisco about 15 years ago, who said he had his 10-year plan to eliminate homelessness in San Francisco. San Francisco now has 40,000 homeless people, most of whom are fentanyl addicts, crack addicts, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone knows about the urban decay there. Uh, 40,000 is less than the 70,000 that you just mentioned, 70 plus thousand that you just mentioned in Los Angeles, but San Francisco is a much smaller city. So everywhere that progressives take over, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's uh, San Francisco, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's New York City, the list goes on, Seattle, Portland, these things are not coincidental that when they take over, they allow drugs on the street. They tell you you're not going to be arrested for petty crimes, things of that nature. And then the average person, the average law-abiding, tax-paying person, they flee. And that's why I'm always very happy when you remind the audience that I now live in Florida. <laughs> uh, we have 1,000 homeless people in Miami. I just checked before the show. And, and the mayor here in Miami, Francis Suarez, uh, I spoke to him last week, and he's working on that. And that's with 1,000. And these things are not disconnected from policy, and people really need to start understanding that. Well, Dave, you and I agree that my home state, Florida, is the most excellent state of all time. And, of course, you would want to live there. Um, but let's put up these numbers. You mentioned all these different cities that are dealing with this. L.A. and NYC. Up 10 percent in L.A. with homelessness in the last year. Up 18 percent in New York City. How much of this is about the criticism you get at the border? That if you have policies that are magnets that promise people that you will make life easier for them or help them, and some of these people desperately need help, they're going to show up to those places. Well, look at New York City is the best example of this. I mean, Eric Adams basically said New York City is a sanctuary city. We're not going to arrest you. You can, you know, basically people are doing drugs on every street corner. I don't have to tell you guys you're in New York City right now. And then what happens? Their homeless shelters then get overrun with illegal immigrants. And then Adams says, no, 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 we can't handle it. We don't want anymore. So look, Florida operates in a very different way. Ron DeSantis has made it clear we are a law and order state. If you are illegal, that you are breaking the law by very definition, and we are not going to tolerate it here. If, if California wants to be a sanctuary state, congratulations. If New York City wants to be a sanctuary city, congratulations. But then again, what it does is it puts strain on the average person, the guy who's watching this right now, who's got a job, who's trying to 
live right and raise a family and everything else, pay their taxes, etc. Their money is now going to support people who are illegal, who then are also bringing crime. And God only knows what else in terms of culture and everything else. So this is the problem everywhere, without exception. I mean, someone watching this or you guys can show me the progressive city in the United States of America that is yeah. clean, that has a low amount of homeless people and, and a thriving economy. It simply doesn't exist. Well, she, she said, I want Angelinos to see the tents are disappearing and not coming back. So we will stand by for news on that. Dave Ribbon will keep the interview. In the I will wait patiently. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Nice to see you. You know, I don't think there is a single cure-all for homelessness anywhere in the nation. Why would I say that? Almost everybody that's homeless has a reason, at least one reason. And yeah, there are people that have mental health problems. There's no question about it. There are bad people, evil people, criminal people that are part of that. But then you have a lot of people that they just got kicked in the teeth in the way of financial stability, and they just couldn't do it. You have people that just determined through desperation, I can't handle it anymore, and they just quit. All of those people, every one of them, have issues. And unless and until people in government confront each of the issues that each of these people have. Now, when you get into it and you really earnestly take a look, you dig in and find the facts, you go to the core, you'll find out that a lot of these people have the same issues. And you then begin to proactively create situations and circumstances that will give these people a path to normalcy that they've been unable themselves or they decided it wasn't worth the effort themselves and just gave up. Now, does that sound like I know everything about everything? It shouldn't. What it means is if you want to change something, you've got to change what's happening. You don't like the results? Do something about the process that will change the results. You hear this often here at TNN Live. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You want change? You can change things yourself, at least a part of things and everything that's bad that you don't like. There are parts of it you can change. Now, somebody on the left would say, well, that's exactly what these homeless people are doing. They didn't have the opportunity. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that because of this, because of that. You can always make excuses for anything and everything if that's what you want to do. But if you really want change, change the parts of it yourself that you can change. So you got that psychological lesson there for free. Bill's coming in the mail. I'm joking, I'm joking. I guess we're stuck on California because I'm looking up here and I want to tell you about this Californian representative Adam Schiff censured, censured by his own House of Representatives. He is throwing his hat in the ring to take over Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat, U.S. Senate seat. He's going to leave his district in Los Angeles if this happens. 
Well, he's out there pontificating. He's talking about what a great guy he is and how bad everybody that's conservative is. And, of course, he's looking for votes. Well, he raked in more than $8.1 million in campaign contributions for this Senate bid. That's coming only in the second quarter of this year. $8.1 million after he was censured by the House. What was he censured for? Because of his involvement in the FBI's probe of former President Donald Trump. The House voted 213 to 209 to censor him on June 21st, and the resolution was introduced by GOP Florida Rep. Anna Paulina Luna regarding the congressman's claims that Trump colluded with Russia during the 2016 presidential election. And he didn't get censured for that. What he got censured for is he told everybody. He was on national news. He was on talk shows. He was even on the floor of the House. And he was claiming, we have, I have, uncontroverted evidence that proves Donald Trump colluded with Vladimir Putin, and Putin helped him get elected president in 2016. Schiff's got a mouthpiece. He's got a big audience every time he opens his mouth. Now, I think it's it's kind of diminished over the last four years or so. But nevertheless, when you're in the U.S. Congress and you've been in the Congress for some time, people listen to what you say. A lot of people, and it doesn't take a lot of people. He's in California. There are a lot of people there. Anyway, his fundraising totals bring his campaign to just under $30 million in cash, breaking Democrat Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock's record of raising $7.2 million in 2021 second quarter. It's still very early, and while the polls are going to shift, Adam continues to lead in every metric that is critical to running an effective campaign. That's from Brad Elkins, Schiff's campaign manager. Our campaign continues to build up significant advantages that will propel Adam forward. There are some people running on the Republican side, and I won't even get into who they are. I can tell you this. I'd vote for any one of them before I would vote for Adam Schiff. But here's the thing. California, highest populated state, huge Democrat majority out there. And substance doesn't seem to matter to a lot of those people. I don't get that. I don't understand that mentality. With all of the bad things that we know for a fact are happening there to Californians. And it's not just about money. It's not just about taxes, lawlessness, homelessness, not enforcing laws. And we have politicians that are behind the lack of law enforcement and the same people are out there and they're screaming and hollering to take away the guns that are legally owned by Americans that, by the way, are guaranteed that that's legal in the Second Amendment. It's been confirmed over and over and over again, and still the far-left sycophants try almost weekly to do something to stop Americans from legally owning guns. You know one statistic we never hear anything about? Literally, I don't remember ever hearing about somebody giving us facts 
about all of the gun crimes that happen across the nation. I never hear them say anything about the guns that were used. And don't you think, no, it's not don't you think. You know that if the guns that were used to kill all these people every weekend in Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York, L.A., it doesn't matter where it happens. People are dying by gunfire every week across the nation. Don't you know that if the guns that are used and law enforcement know where those guns come from, you can bet your bippy they find the killer, the shooter, they find the guns, and they know the source of the guns. Have you ever heard one story that says, aha, this gun was bought at this gun store? You've never heard that. Why is that, you think? Why do you believe that is? There's only one reason. They don't want us to know. Because if they know, and they're not telling us it means those are illegally stolen, purchased, somehow obtained illegally that are being used in these crimes. I'm sure there are those that are with legal guns, but it certainly isn't a high number, or they'd be telling us. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. Earlier in the show, we talked about the cocaine found at the White House. And every day we seem to get some more damning news about the cocaine that was in the White House. 
It has to do, of course, with the Biden administration, the Biden White House. Everything bad and everything good rolls down when it comes to the White House and everything to do with the White House and everybody. In that vein, this slipped out overnight. Hunter Biden's prosecutor, his prosecutor that was doing the work, you know, assistant United States Attorney Derek Hines is his name. We come to find out there's some conflict there. That United States Attorney, Derek Hines, previously worked for Hunter Biden's business partner. And Derek Hines, this U.S. attorney, he's the one that signed off on the charges against Hunter, along with U.S. Attorney David Weiss. That's the only name we've heard. U.S. Attorney David Weiss from Delaware. Hunter agreed to plead guilty to the charges, which Republicans characterized as a sweetheart deal. In fact, there's no record in history in law enforcement, and at least in federal law enforcement, of anybody ever getting the kind of deal that they have offered Hunter Biden. Now, let me just say this. It's not final. It goes before a judge at the end of this month, and the judge will have to confirm the deal that both sides, the prosecutor and Hunter Biden, agreed to. It's not done yet. Hines previously worked as a special counsel to former FBI Director Louis Free's private company. Free owned this company, Free Group International Solutions. They're a lobbying firm with ties to the Biden family business. Their relationship dates back to 2013 when Hines served as special counsel to Free from 2013 to 2015. Now, the former FBI director, Louis Free, he's a longtime ally of the Bidens. Free sent 100 grand to a trust for Joe Biden's grandkids. That's according to the New York Post, and this was reported back in 2021. One month prior to the donation, Free inquired with Hunter about pursuing future work options together with Joe Biden. Hunter Biden, Eric Sherman, and Louis Free reportedly worked a $3 million deal to sway the U.S. State Department to reduce the prosecution of Gabriel Popovich, a Romanian real estate mogul who was under investigation for bribery back in 2015. Authorities convicted Popovich, sentenced him to seven years in prison. Popovich did not serve any time. Instead, he fled to England where the Romanian government tried to extradite him. Hunter began working for Popovich in the spring of 2015. Go figure. According to Biden's own calendar, he met with Joe Biden three times from July of 2015 to March of 2016, following meetings with Romanian officials while he was working on helping Popovich with a conviction stemming from his purchase of a 550-acre parcel of government-owned land for a steep discount. These are those things I told you that just when you think you got your arms around everything, something new just slips out that makes you do the SMH thing. Shake my head. Now, if you just heard that story about Hunter and that attorney that uh, he signed off on a lot of stuff regarding Hunter, and there's 
problems with relationships, all kinds of reasons why none of this should have been happened or at least not happened by this person in this particular state, Delaware. You think that's a bunch? I promised you at the bottom of the hour I was going to let you listen to the man who is front and center in the Biden family syndicate issues and heretofore he's been anonymous. His name is Dr. Gal Luft, L-U-F-T, Luft. In fact, I'm just going to shut up and let you listen to Dr. Luft. Good day. My name is Dr. Gal Luft. For the past 20 years, I have been the co-director of the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, a Washington-based think tank focused on energy security. For the past 15 years, I've been a resident of Israel. And for four years, I was senior advisor to the China energy company CFC, at the same time of its dealings with the Biden family. Under normal circumstances, I would be testifying before Congress about my experience with CFC. Sadly, due to circumstances I shall describe here in this video, uh, I am forced to tell you this story via video. My ordeal goes back to uh, a fatal decision I made in March of 2019 to share with the U.S. government my knowledge about the Biden family's relations with CFC. As I said, it was in March of 2019 in a two-day uh, session at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. I insisted that the meeting take place in March because at the time there were rumors that Joe Biden was planning to run for president. I saw it as my civic duty to alert the government beforehand and give it enough time to probe the issue. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. The DOJ sent to Brussels a delegation of six uh, people, two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, by the names of Daniel Reichenthal and Catherine Ghosh, and four FBI agents. One of them was Special Agent Joshua Wilson from the Baltimore Field Office, which also happens to cover the state of Delaware. Now you want to ask yourself, why did the government dispatch to Europe so many people? Why six? Why not two? The answer is that they knew very well that I'm a credible uh, witness and that I have insider knowledge about the group and the individuals that enriched the Biden family. Over an intensive two-day two meeting, um, I shared my information about the Biden family's financial transactions with CFC, including specific dollar figures. I also provided the name of Rob Walker, 
who later became known as Hunter Biden's bagman. Uh, yet, as we now know today from the whistleblower testimony, uh, Gary Shapley, it took the DOJ a whole 21 months to probe the issue and to actually talk to Walker. But perhaps the most alarming information I revealed was of a mole within the DOJ who shared classified information with Hunter Biden and his Chinese partners. I told the DOJ that Hunter was closely associated with a very senior retired FBI official who had distinct physical characteristic. He had one eye. One of the FBI agents at the time even told me, you know, that would be very easy for us to find. There aren't that many one-eyed people in the Bureau. The information I provided the FBI in March of 2019 was fully corroborated nine months later when the famous laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, which contained all the emails and receipts, was handed to the FBI. And guess who seized the laptop from the computer repair shop? It was Special Agent Joshua Wilson, who was with me in Brussels earlier. In other words, the FBI knew about, uh, from me, about the Biden CFC deals before they got hold of the laptop, way before. They had enough time to investigate the issue, but they didn't. After Brussels, I never heard back from the DOJ, but instead of showing appreciation for my whistleblowing, I became public enemy number one. Over the past four years that followed, me, my family, my friends, my associates, we were all harassed, intimidated, and finally, I was prosecuted. Despite all that, on the eve of the 2020 elections, I sent my lawyer to Washington to meet with then-acting Deputy Attorney General, Mr. Richard Donahue, to ensure he was informed about the information I had given his department in Brussels 19 months earlier. And also to warn him that there may still be a mole within the DOJ. Mr. Donahue confirmed to my lawyer that he was aware of my claims, but now we learn from the IRS whistleblower that it was Rich Donahue himself who suspended the investigation a few weeks earlier on September 4th, 2020, on the grounds that it was, quote, too close to the elections. Finally, in February this year, I was arrested in Cyprus on an extradition request from the Southern District of New York, the very same office that met with me uh, in Brussels. The seven-count indictment said I violated the export, uh, Arms Export Control Act, and if I convicted, I would face up to 100 years in prison. While I was detained in Cyprus, I was portrayed in the international media as an arms dealer, even though I never traded a bullet in my entire life. In fact, nowhere in my indictment the DOJ claimed or presented evidence that I bought, sold, shipped, or financed any weapons. I was also charged with acting as an unregistered agent of CFC, which is a far-out violation. 
The DOJ says that I caused a payment of $6,000 a month to former CIA director James Woolsey um, in order to put his name on an article I had ghostwritten for the China Daily newspaper. Nowhere in the indictment, the DOJ mentioned the well-known fact that Mr. Woolsey had been uh, an advisor to my think tank since 2002 and that there was nothing in the article that represented Chinese interest, to the contrary. The notion that I, Gal Luft, spoon-fed a CIA director with policy proposals on China, treating him like a useful idiot, is not only an insult to the intelligence community, it is an insult to the intelligence of every American. The U.S. government claims that I acted on behalf of CFC, and therefore I'm a foreign agent. But let me tell you a little secret. The same CFC that the U.S. government claims was associated with the Chinese intelligence and, quote, an international criminal organization, was a 501c3 charitable organization registered in the state of Virginia and approved by the IRS. The same organization was also a major donor to the Clinton Foundation and Columbia University. Needless to say that none of their executives were charged for any wrongdoing. If CFC was indeed a foreign entity tied so closely to the PRC, why was it allowed to operate freely as a public charity? Why did the government expose taxpayers to the risk of funding an entity it knew at the time was so compromised? Why did they, did they not warn anybody? Isn't the role of government to protect its people? I'm also being charged for making a false statement in Brussels. But why was I in Brussels to begin with? Was I there to eat Belgian waffles? The DOJ charged me for making a statement in a voluntary meeting that would have never come to bear if not for my good citizenship. So let me propose an idea. Why won't the DOJ make my indictment public? Do it. Make my day. Put it on your website so that every American can see the nature of the allegations against me, the quality of the evidence, and the length the government is willing to go to weaponize the justice system to punish whistleblowers like me. I have another idea. Why won't the FBI submit to Congress the minutes from the Brussels meeting. Let everybody see what happened in Brussels. Why not? Are you trying to protect anything? Are you trying to protect anybody? I also hope that the DOJ can explain why they targeted me in Cyprus and not in my home country of Israel, where I reside most of the time. After all, the U.S. shares a bilateral extradition treaty with Israel. So if any of my crimes are real and serious, and this is not just political prosecution, why did the U.S. need to sneak up on me during a short visit to Cyprus? Do they not trust the Israeli judicial system to judge this issue on its merits? What's going on here? Also, why did the DOJ wait six whole years, well beyond the statute of limitation, 
to indict me. And why did the DOJ choose to unseal to the, the indictment on November 1st, 2022, the very same week of the midterm elections? Could this have anything to do with the fact or the fear that once Republicans gain control over Congress and begin to investigate, their cover-up would be in full display? And perhaps the biggest question of all, why am I being indicted for FARA for a ghostwriting an innocuous article for which I received no payment, let alone from a foreign government, when the mother of all FARA cases, the Biden's systemic influence peddling on behalf of foreign governments for which they raked millions, goes unpunished? This is in a nutshell why I decided to act the way I did because I do not have faith uh, that I would receive a fair trial in a New York court. Let me tell you why. CFC Secretary General Dr. Patrick Ho, who paid Hunter Biden a million dollars for God knows what, was not allowed to mention the word Biden before the jury when he was tried in New York in 2018. The very same prosecutor who is now after me, Daniel Reichenthal, told the judge at the time that mentioning the name Biden would, quote, add a political dimension to the case. And the judge agreed. Which means that if I'm ever brought before a U.S. court, I would not be allowed to utter the word Brussels or Biden. And the real context of my arrest me being patient zero of the Biden family investigation, would be hidden from the jury. Let it sink in. I, who volunteered to inform the U.S. government about potential security breach and about compromising information about a man vying to be the next president, am now being hunted by the very same people whom I informed and may have to live on the run for the rest of my life. I warned the government about potential risk to the integrity of the 2020 elections, if convicted by a U.S. court, would never be able to vote again in the U.S. elections. Just think about it and ask yourself, who is the real criminal in this story? Thank you for listening. I hope you listened to the whole thing and everything that he said. That's Dr. Gal Luft, spelled L-U-F-T, first name G-A-L, a whistleblower who voluntarily, he was in the middle of it. He saw it all, every bit of it, the corruption in the Biden family for years. And he goes to authorities because he wants to do the right thing. And what happens? He's running. He's hiding from the American government. By the way, he's an American citizen. And they indicted him only for political purposes. He's a legal whistleblower. Isn't it part of the whistleblower law? that any whistleblower will not receive any negative stuff 
because of what he or she says, the evidence that they come forward with. This is the United States of America. This crap is not supposed to happen, but it's happening, and it's happening to a bunch of people that we don't even know about, all for political purposes, all because the love of money is the root of all evil. Taking a family of five to the amusement park can cost a small fortune. Oh, yeah. So to save some money, we thought, hey, let's bring the amusement park to us. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Uh, step right up. Step right up, young man. Are you ready to ride the wacky waterfall? That's just the bathtub with the shower head running. Nope. It's the wacky waterfall. It's the shower, Dad. Waterfall. Wacky. There's an easier way to save. To get a free rate quote, go to Geico.com. Then buy online, over the phone, or at your local Geico office. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water. Vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. That's an appropriate song. It's the weekend. It's Friday, and that song is Get Down Tonight. Oh, my gosh. This has really been a strange show today. We've had so much information, important information. That's what we do here at TNN Live. One thing I want to let you listen to before you get away for your weekend, Jason Chaffetz. Man, I wish he was still in Congress. He was a U.S. representative in the House from, um, where was he from? Utah. And he came out yesterday and made some very brave predictions about Joe Biden's presidential future. Now, this is unusual. Chaffetz is pretty conservative, and he normally doesn't go out on a limb. But in this case, well, you decide for yourself. Uh, meantime, the Bidenomics tour continues. The president and members of his administration heading out across the country today to tout the success of the president's policies. But as we said at the top of the show, it's going to be a tough sell. According to the latest Fox poll, 60% of voters disapprove 
of Biden's handling of the economy. A little better than 68% uh, uh, before, but it's, it's, it's still a disconnect, if you like, between the White House and the Americans. Jason Chaffetz, author of The Puppeteers, joins me now. Great to see you, Jason. Look, we know that Joe Biden is a tax-and-spend president, so how is he going to sell that economic vision to voters? I don't think he will. I mean, there's a reason why President Biden has the lowest poll numbers since Jimmy Carter um, and more cowbell, more more Joe Biden generally doesn't move the meter. He's just not a good communicator. He's usually filled with gaffes. Um, and I find it interesting when you actually dive down and look at how he's going to fan out and get these administration officials. They're going to primarily Democratic states. They're going to New York. They're going to California. The, going to Washington State, mm -hmm. Pete Buttigieg is, they're already going to be in the Democratic side of the equation. So I think they're saying to the base, uh, hey, we need to still convince the base that, that we're doing the right things. But Ashley, they're not going to move the meter because they're not going to move to drive down the cost of energy. If right. you don't move the price of energy down, you're not going to solve this inflation problem. Very true. Uh, next one for you, Jason. President Biden could actually lose the first primary for 2024 because he won't be on the ballot. The DNC is trying to shake up the primary order, putting South Carolina first, which he did very well in the first time around. But New Hampshire, nah, they're not playing ball. Um, it could be embarrassing for Biden, but I guess the bigger question is, could it really affect the rest of the uh, 2024 race? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I happen to be the mm. one personally who believes that Joe Biden will not actually be on the ballot by the end of this calendar year. That's just my my political prediction. Mm. I think they offended the people of Iowa by abandoning Iowa and that they will pay a price uh, in the general election on a state that is pivotal in the electoral mm. count. With Joe Biden not on the ballot in New Hampshire, I mean, how is it that a sitting president isn't on the ballot? It's... They're putting all their marbles into South Carolina. They're relying <laughs> yeah. on on uh, Congressman Clyburn to, to to carry the water for him there, but that's a risky move. It really, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. But anyway, Jason, we're out of time. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. He doesn't do those kind of things just sporadically, Jason Chavitz. He's very conservative. And I have shared here on this show numerous times, I don't think Joe Biden is going to be the Democrat candidate that runs in 2024. Now, he may run, but I don't think he'll make it through the primary season. I'm shocked he's made it this far. But he apparently is a tough dude. He's been around for a long time. Now, remember I told you it was interesting how the cocaine story, cocaine in the White House, it seems to morph a little bit every day. Just minutes ago, we got another story. So let me tell you what Andrea Mitchell said. Andrea Mitchell of MSNBC. She acknowledged yesterday that contrary to the idea that a random tourist left cocaine in the White House and what officials have described so far as a heavily trafficked area, Andrea Mitchell told us the cocaine was actually found in what they call in the White House a limited access place. That's near the Situation Room. It was found, by my observation, in a much more secure place, limited access place, than the West Wing reception area there. It's still a publicly trafficked, frequently trafficked place, 
but it's down near the Situation Room, right off the West Executive Drive down below. And normal people, just average people, just can't get in there even with the entry for the Northwest Gate. Reportedly, Kelly O'Donnell confirmed Mitchell's observation, adding, they're saying the West Executive entrance, which, as you noted, is closer to the Situation Room, closer to the Navy mess where there's the facilities for food and so forth. It's also next to West Executive Drive. That's where, for example, the vice president's vehicle is parked. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We're implicating everybody in the White House cocaine debacle. And so what I want you to do this weekend is I want you to worry about it. Who brought that cocaine into the White House? I really didn't mean obsess about it. Don't even think about it. It happened. Eh, It just is. Sometimes things just do that. They just happen. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for being here. We're going to see you Monday morning, bright and early.